Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale, and in this week's episode, my guest is Michael Fabro, the CEO of uh, Local Coho, which is a coho salmon fish farm right in Auburn, New York. Well, this is also the last uh, podcast that we're putting out for 2022. I don't know if that's of any significance or not, but it is the fact this will be the final episode that's released before the next year. And for this last episode, I am enjoying, at least during the intro, a pour of uh, Michter Sour Mash that I just picked up at Peter's Liquors in uh, North Syracuse. I picked it up this past week, right before Christmas. I won. I'm, I'm part of the Syracuse Bourbon Society, which is a Facebook group, a little social group, and... Um, they do, a, uh, this is my first year in it, and they do a holiday raffle, and so they raise money for a local charity, and this year they were raising money for Clear Path for Veterans, and so, um, yeah, you made a donation, and then your name got entered into a raffle. I was really fortunate, my first ever bourbon raffle to get second place, and I got to choose a bottle of Stag Junior, which is a really awesome bottle of bourbon, really high proof, I think it's 132. And um, from what they were telling me out at Peter's Liquors, it's actually this is they're not making that bottle anymore, or not they're making they're not making Stag Junior anymore. So I've got a nice little bourbon collection going, but uh, I'll get to well, I've got a nice little bourbon collection going. And while I was out at Peter's Liquors, I got to hang out with Jason, who's their general manager, I believe, and and talk bourbon with him, and and he got he poured me some samples of some bourbons that he liked and enjoyed, and. And uh, talk to me about them, which is really interesting because I'm really just over the past couple months getting into bourbon, and um, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> I have a tendency to jump into something and and find ways that I can possibly make money from it through Eat Local New York. So, for example, I was uh, I I took I, I took the real estate seventy hour course, and thinking you know one day. That'll help us uh, help restaurants that are looking for real estate. And then I started taking the Cicerone training course for, which is like, you know, for beer, right? Beer education and, and knowledge and experts. And I thought that would be cool to have that knowledge going into restaurants, um, trying craft beers, working with the craft brewery. So I've got like level one on that. And then now that I'm getting into bourbon, I was thinking about trying to find, um, their legitimate uh, certification programs to kind of get dive more into this world. I find it really interesting that there are so many different bourbons that exist out there in the world. I mean, obviously, the world of allocated bourbons is, you know, I'm just getting into it, but it's been around now for, you know, a few years. And people spend, I'm sure they've always spent inordinate amounts of bourbon, amounts of money on bourbon, but now it's like the everyday man is involved in it. And uh, it's just, it's a it's fascinating world to me. Part of me thinks it's a scam <laughs> that these distilleries, like the big distilleries are, are not really that they've created um, the scam of allocation, but I think that they're definitely milking it for everything that it's worth. And I think that a lot of small distilleries have probably popped up, um, even though, you know, if you look back through the history of like, Prohibition and bootlegging and, you know, backyard, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, distilling has a very deep history. 
especially here in America. Uh, but I'm sure a lot of people fell victim to it, to uh, starting a distillery, is trying to start a brand uh, of distilling spirits and even into bourbons because they've fallen victim for like this whole gold rush, so to speak, of allocated bottles. Um, I just don't know how many different bourbons actually exist out there. And this is a whole nother story. It's another pod. I need to have Nick Pascal back on the podcast. Um, all right. Now that I've just talked about bourbon for four minutes, I have to say I'm really thrilled to, to have Michael on the podcast today. A, because he, from talking to him and getting to know him, I've said it before, these are some of the, my favorite episodes. I've never met Michael a day in my life. I've only spoken to him from like a quick phone call about asking him to be on the podcast. And so to sit across from this guy who I have, I've never met before and genuinely get to like learn more about his history and how he got into food service and how he got to be the CEO of, of local coho and, and kind of the challenges that he faces and, and their business. It's just, it's fascinating to me. Um, I love sitting across from friends, but I really enjoy sitting across from strangers. And so it was a lot of fun to talk with them and get to learn just a little bit about what he does and what his, what, you know, local coho, um, uh, does and the opportunities that exist in the area. Uh, I'm happy to say if you're a chef or a restaurant owner listening to this, I believe that if you're in the Syracuse, Central New York area, you can get their salmon directly from Lorenzo's Wholesale Foods, which is right here in Syracuse on Fay Road. And um, uh, Lorenzo's is, is turning things around. They're changing quite a bit. Uh, I'm connected to them now, and uh, they're they're really starting to uh, develop quite the reputation, quite a good reputation, reputation they necessarily didn't have there for a little bit. And so I'm really excited uh, to be a part of it and a part of that group that's um, helping to turn things around. And if you're a local chef or restaurant owner and you're interested in getting uh, this local coho salmon, then reach out to them. Their number is their phone number is four eight seven 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 seven. Real easy number four eight seven 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 seven. And uh, just tell them, hey, I'm you know interested in this local coho salmon. Uh, I'm sure they'll hook you up, get you taken care of. Um, and there's there's some other things that I think we're working on to really bring light to the fact that right here in Auburn, New York, there is a company that has a coho salmon farm. It's such a big deal. I mean, you know, I've talked about a lot uh, with guests and, and these little intro blurbs about um, the future of food and, and kind of the trends of food and restaurants and those trends that exist in, in other parts of the country and when and how they are relevant here in central New York. Um, I think as, as someone who works a lot in the restaurant industry around here, it's, it can be daunting to have an idea for or see concepts that are really interesting in other parts of the country, but realize that they're not necessarily going to work here in central New York or really more specifically in Syracuse. We are just a really back, backwards community when it comes to food and, and other things, but we're just kind of a delayed. I shouldn't say backwards, but we're a delayed community. And, um, and so I don't know exactly how having a sustainable and, and local source of salmon will affect, you know, how, 
how our area will affect it. I don't know if the average consumer is really going to care. Not that they're not going to care, but I don't know if it, you know, the information really gets to them enough for them to be like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Um, or how that works. As much as, as uh, we have such an abundance of wonderful agriculture and uh, farming, whether we're talking about different protein meat sources from beef to, you know, pigs to dairy uh, to, uh, you know, chickens to now fish, um, not to mention all of our wonderful uh, farmers of fruits and vegetables and, and so many interesting things. I don't know um, how much that's really a light is shed on those things. There's wonderful restaurants that exist like Eden and the Taylor and the Cook in Utica where they're sourcing 100% uh, local for their products that they sell. There are 100% of those products that are based here in New York State. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of other restaurants and chefs that are looking into the looking at the local option that they have when it comes to food. But not as many as there should be. <laughs> you know, I was just watching because um, uh, I was just watching um, Netflix's Chef's Table. You know, I kind of go back and forth on those shows, and um, and sometimes when I'm feeling really uh, romantic about the food and restaurant industry, I'll definitely watch them. And I was watching the one on pizza, and I forget to completely forget the guy's name. I know he's an icon, and anybody who could see his hair knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, has a, a, a restaurant in Phoenix where he went out and really, you know, got started in making pizza in his own restaurant. And just in all of these chef table shows, what I typically, one of the resounding themes, one of the common themes amongst every episode is a chef who got back to the roots, no pun intended, of the food of where they're from, of the community that they're in, and how they got back to, to using those foods in interesting and unique ways. And um, I don't really see a whole hell of a lot of that here in Syracuse, uh, except for from some, a couple. I definitely saw a lot more of it from um, the chef that I probably missed the most, uh, Cody Dedeshu from Defi and the work that he did of really highlighting the farms that he would get food from. I mean, really going out of his way to highlight the farmers and the producers of the food that he was using on his menu. And um, anyways, we just don't see a lot of that. So I, I kind of hope that we start to see that a little bit with things like this. I mean, this is coho salmon that is raised right here in Auburn. It's uh, it's it's really astounding to think that this business has chosen Auburn, New York uh, to, to, you know, plant their flag. And their salmon is being used in some world-renowned restaurants located down in New York, in New York City. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, I'm going to stop rambling, and we're going to get into um, this week's conversation. Uh, it's my conversation, this week's podcast, my conversation with Michael from Local Coho. I was asking, what's more important now? Or what is more 
reach or impact? Is it Instagram or TikTok in the food world? So that it's TikTok, but you have to sell. You have to have something to sell online. Um, hmm. When we were opening Three One Fried, uh, I was doing as as we were like going through the process. We were testing different takeout containers. So I started our TikTok with I'm opening my first restaurant, and today I have to pick a takeout container. And so it was all right. This is the one that looks good. Um, that I can put a sticker on and it'll look, you know, seamless and all that kind of stuff. But how is it going to hold up with a hot fried chicken sandwich and tater tots that are going to sit there for 20 minutes? And how's the food going to... So I did two or three or four videos of like testing that out. And some of them were getting 80, 90,000 views. Um, Hmm. And people all over the country saying, I wish... I can't believe a, a ghost kitchen is putting this much effort into their takeout container. I wish you were in my area. I would support you. If I had a website at the time that had merch, a T-shirt, a hat, stickers, something that they could go sauce, that they could buy and I could ship to them, a a restaurant would make so much more money that way, you know, because I can do do great content that will be seen by 100,000 people um, all over the country. But if they're not, those people aren't going to come to my restaurant every day, right. every week, whatever the case is, um, so if I had an easy way for them to buy something, then yeah, that's the same with Instagram, though, right? It's turning back. Well, it's it's turning towards that a little bit. Um, Instagram died for Instagram's going through a weird bunch of phases. Um, it was great for photos only, and then TikTok started to pull a bunch of their users. So, and usage on the app for Instagram started to die. So then they went to pushing video heavy and they still are. They want you to make reels, which is their answer to TikTok. But I've noticed it's kind of now shifting back. Like I'm posting photo content. And so for a little bit with Instagram, if you posted a photo, you would reach like a third of a percent of your following. Okay. And if you posted a reel you would reach like 50% of your following plus a ton of other people. Huge difference. Yeah. They're kind of skewing back on that. They're starting to put more attention back to photos, at least right now, Um, which is interesting. Uh, It's great for somebody like me because a video takes forever to edit, you know. Mm. Um, I can go into a restaurant and film... 10 minutes of footage, but then I have to condense it down to 60 to 90 seconds or even less in some cases to make it interesting and to make it fit on the platform. Uh, that uh, a 60 second video can take an hour and a half to make. Um, yeah. A photo I can snap and put it, put it out there and I'm done. Right. So I hope that I hope Instagram goes back to pushing more users towards still photos. Mm-hmm. Makes life so much easier and people like me. Yeah. So back to the container. Yeah. How do you what's the secret to a good container for fried food? I don't know. Because isn't yeah. that the challenge? Like fried food getting it yeah. to hold up well. Yeah. Um I don't I don't think there's a secret container yet uh that exists. I see that really works. Some of the compostable stuff can work, but it absorbs so much of the steam, you know, so much of the mm-hmm. heat that then the container itself can fall apart. Um, uh, 
our containers kind of worked. Our first containers worked really well, but we got rid of them because it was a you couldn't like a clamshell. You can just stack a thousand of them, mm-hmm. and it's that big. Our boxes you had to pre-make. Um, they were like those white chicken boxes, so you couldn't stack them inside of each other. So if you had ten of them, you had a stack that was that big. So putting those on the line was a nightmare for yeah, the staff. Yeah, right. Though, so if we took that box lined with foil and paper, it was great. Mm. Um, and then we had to manually get a single hole punch and punch four holes in the top. Oh, for a steam release? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we figured out. Right. Um, you know, at the end, food is not some, is, fried food is not meant to travel. Right, you know? right, yeah. Um, you can't, you're never going to have the same experience eating it in the restaurant as you are at home 10, 15, 20 minutes later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think customers know that. Most of them, I think, know that. Um, some of them, every once in a while, turns out they don't. But, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. You're in New York City. Do you, like, do you order a lot for delivery? Uh, yeah, not a ton. A, a little bit. It, certain go-tos, pizza, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, um, uh, there's this, uh, uh, chicken place we like, mm-hmm. uh, Poulet Son Tet. They do a great roasted chicken. Okay. They've got some nice sides, uh, kale and mac, mac and cheese. Yeah. And things. Uh, and they're yeah. actually, their fries, so they do French fries. Okay. And they actually arrive pretty good. Really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty good. Are they, um, are they like, uh, cut like fresh cut fries or is it like a t- typical frozen french fry i think it's a fresh cut fry yeah yeah i'm not 100 okay. percent certain but it, they look like they're fresh cut okay yeah yeah huh. i mean you know they're in a um standard to go container like plastic with a snap okay. snap lid but yeah. um they they're they uh they wrap them in paper like a okay wax paper oh and that's smart kind of depends how long how quick the delivery is if you get yeah. a nice quick uh, delivery, <laughs> yeah, they hold up pretty well and they're pretty good. But if it takes a while, then you know, can get a little soggy. Yeah, and most, I mean, I'd imagine. Well, I'm sure there's still people that are delivering food in cars in New York City, but a lot of it's bicycle or motorcycle or whatever yeah, delivery drivers. Absolutely, it's um. So of course, you know, delivery exploded during COVID, right? Mm. And um, what came along with that is uh, um, the electric bikes. Yeah. So like hand in hand, right? All these delivery guys now are on electric bikes. um, And uh, now when you walk the street at a certain hour, like Mm. 6, 7, 8 p.m., there's just zipping by Mm. like these delivery guys (laughs) and they fly. They just like fly down Fifth Avenue. So Mm. if you're crossing the street, you got to like really pay attention (laughs) And they don't, they, you know, I'm sure some of them pay attention to the mm. traffic laws, but yeah. a lot of them don't. Right. Um, so, you know, you, you, you really <laughs> got to be heads up as it's become this, like, uh, this hazard. You know, the, the delivery guys during dinner hour, yeah. you know, can just totally run you over. <laughs> Actually, like my friend Nick, when we were just down there Monday, almost got hit by one of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a th- <laughs> like, we have a dog, so, like, we're oftentimes walking the dog at that hour. So, like, you really got to pay attention. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I was... Th- Sometimes I was like recently I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, I wonder how many deliveries they can get in during the because it's a finite time frame, right? Right. Like it, there's prime time, and, and like 
they got to get, they got to max out the number yeah. of deliveries they can make because that's the more deliveries you make, the more tips. Yeah. I, I don't know the exact metrics, but I'm sure the more you make, the yeah. better you earn. So, yes. so like they are highly motivated to move fast. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, there's a, I forget, I don't know what part of the country he's in, but there's a TikToker. He's a bicycle food delivery guy uh, for Grubhub and DoorDash and all that. And he wears a GoPro. And you just see him on his phone. Uh, I don't know why it's so interesting, but it is. And he's got millions of followers. But it's him getting an order on his phone, seeing how big the tip is, deciding if he's going to take it or not, the distance of how far it is. And it's just him riding his bike around. I think he's in, I think he's somewhere out west. Um, but just him riding his bicycle, getting the food, putting it in the bag, going to deliver. I mean, it's it's interesting, stupid. So they see the tip before they deliver. I, I was yeah. always curious about that. Yeah, I don't know if that's a new thing with the platform or what, but uh, yeah, the drivers apparently can see the tip and see how big the order is before uh, they do it. Now, I know Uber and Lyft drivers, if they decline fares, it hurts them. So, okay. so okay. if they get a ding for a fare and they say, I don't want to drive that far and they decline it, it hurts their rating. They won't get as many. I don't know if it's the same with food delivery drivers or not. Um, why is the world so complicated? I don't know. Here's one other thing on food delivery. So there's this one pizza place that we'll order from occasionally. It's a little farther away, but like it's, it's like good New York pizza and it holds up well. Like if, if you want to eat the next day, like holds up really well. But you can only, where we live, you can only order from them through Uber, Uber Eats, which I normally would not use. Yeah. But I will use it to order this one pizza. Hmm. And then I was always thinking, like, are they actually delivering this in a car in Manhattan? <laughs> like, that's crazy. Yeah. And, and then uh, I, I, I think they are. Like, hmm. what kind of system is that? That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah, that can't be uh, easy. <laughs> No, we were at, uh, we stopped at Best Pizza in Brooklyn on our way out on Monday. And uh, we were, it was cool. We got to meet Frankie, who was there, which was pretty awesome. And he had a, they had a bicycle delivery guy, you know. He made like, I think, six deliveries while in the 30 minutes that we were there. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So that's cranking. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's got a, it's such, we kept going into all these restaurants and we ate it. There was four of us that went down. So we could eat a lot. We could eat at a lot more restaurants than typical because we were just getting like one thing and mm -hmm. all splitting it. And uh, there are so many restaurants we walked into. I'm like, this is a brilliant concept. This would, this would go gangbusters back home. And then my friend Nick immediately would say, we don't have the population for it. It would never work mm. back home. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it was really, it was a lot of fun to get down there and check out and visit the restaurants that, you know, we wanted to. A lot of restaurants that we wanted to go to, we have to go back because they weren't open Mondays. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, a lot of great food down there. Absolutely. And we weren't even going to the really nice places. So, yeah. So, uh, well, introduce yourself to everybody. Tell them what you do. Sure. Uh, so um, my name is Michael Fabro, and I'm the CEO of Local Coho Salmon. Uh, we are an indoor salmon farm, recirculating aquaculture. Mm. I can get into that later. Um, in Auburn, yeah. And um, the company has been around. It, it takes a while to grow fish, um, <laughs> but so the company's been around a few years. But we started harvesting and selling, um, actually selling fish every week um, in the spring. Mm. So it's pretty early days still. Okay. 
How long, so when did it get started out there? Yeah, so, um, uh, I, and I joined the company in the spring, but the, the founder started it probably, and I think it was 2017, 2018. Hmm. Um, he had some connections with some people uh, in the uh, aquaculture field at Cornell. Um, and, uh, you know, put all the pieces together and fish, first fish went in the water in like 2018. Hmm. Um, it can... Ideally, it takes you about a year and a half. We grow coho salmon, which yeah. is a particular species of salmon. Ideally, it takes about a year and a half to get a mm. coho to um, market size, what mm. we consider market size. But in the early days, early years, like a lot of trial and error, and so it takes a lot longer, a um, um, lot, lot of learnings. Uh, it's a pretty – indoor aquaculture is a, a kind of a complicated, you know, mm-hmm. uh, technical um, a lot of technical challenges so um anyhow so it it took a while to work out some kinks and uh uh, we actually had a coo uh, head of aquaculture who's Mm. been growing fish for like 30 years across across the world he joined about two years ago and really put some good systems into place so that got us to the point where we were able to really happy with the quality and getting good fish and we Mm. decided to open up to, to the market yeah that's awesome it's, uh, I didn't, I'd, I'd never heard of it until maybe two months ago, uh, in a meeting at Lorenzo's yeah. and, um, somebody brought it up. One of the people brought it up and I was like, that's out in Auburn, uh, of all places, you know, Auburn doesn't have a whole hell of a lot going on out there. So it was pretty interesting to hear that that existed, uh, and so close to Syracuse as well. Um, and then I started looking into it seems like a really cool operation very interesting world of uh you know um i don't know if you would consider it would you consider it farm raised salmon yeah yeah for sure yeah Yeah. um i mean it's a farm yeah Yeah, it's an indoor farm um and um uh i mean just i'll talk a little bit about my background so you know in aquaculture there's kind of there's definitely the, the the technical science side of it and you know but you're you're farming, you're growing food. Yeah. So it, it's a food business. And I, I've always considered myself more of a food industry person. I used to be in the restaurant industry. I was in uh, a charcuterie business and I mm. got into aquaculture about 12 years ago. And I worked with a New Zealand based company where we grew king salmon in uh, kind of, I would call traditional net pen. So it's like ocean aquaculture where you have nets and you grow the fish uh, yeah. in, in open water. Um, but I was always kind of intrigued. Well, a couple of things. I was intrigued with this idea of growing fish indoors. Um, one reason was because some of the experiences I had, um, with, uh, the New Zealand production, we were more and more susceptible to rising, uh, seawater temperatures. Mm. So with climate change, ocean <laughs> temperatures are increasing Yeah, and it's, um, and, and this isn't just aquaculture, it's other agricultural industries too, like uh, the wine industry, you know, the mm. great wine growing regions are shif- mm. shifting, right, as climate changes. But anyway, we were more mm. or sus- susceptible to like these water temperatures affecting uh, fish health and mortality rates and things like that. And so it became, you know, um, more uh, like, hi- you know, highs and lows from season to season. And I learned about indoor uh, aquaculture, um, and, um, um, you know, first of all, you're not, um, you don't have to worry about the 
changing water temperatures because it's a controlled environment. It's yeah. it's, it's an indoor farm. And then secondly, like I mentioned, I work in, worked for a New Zealand company. Um, almost all of the salmon in the U.S. market is imported. Hmm. Um, about 70% of the salmon we eat is imported. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's farmed raised. The, the remainder, the 30%, is wild caught from the Pacific coast. And yeah. it's, it's seasonal, so it's only available hmm. like late spring through late summer, basically. Um, so I was really kind of excited about this idea of like, well, you know, why shouldn't we farm? Why shouldn't we grow salmon here in the U.S.? I mean, if you do it responsibly and do it well, yeah, it's it's a great thing, um, and hmm. uh, and you know I believe that we are doing things responsibly and, do, and doing things well. Um, uh, so, like some of the concerns people historically have had about farm salmon are, you know, being raised with antibiotics, for example, hmm. as a um, a preventative measure rather than a, like you're treating a specific problem. Yeah, um, we we don't use antibiotics on our farm. Is controlled environment so you hmm. can tr- you can control pathogens gotcha. so you don't need antibiotics there's no growth hormones um hmm. there's no uh there's uh, uh sea lice which is a problem in ocean farming hmm. uh there's no impact on um the the local environment or or the wild fish so you're, you're really kind of um separating yourselves and, and t- taking those variables out of it and um, can have a, a really uh, self-contained um, environment in which you're growing the fish. Hmm. That's wild. Yeah. It's, uh, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, how, what's the, so I've got a thousand other questions about that, but, you know, what's the uh, response been, you know, for the farm and, for, you know, from the market? Yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, very positive. Um, I mean, we have a long way to go in getting the word out. Um mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of like feedback on uh, like how we're growing the fish and the practices and the sustainability has been great, but but also like it's food, it's got to taste good. Yeah, um, and that's been great too. So hmm. um, we kind of focused when we launched on trying to get some traction in the New York City metro area, and that's gone really well. We're working with a great distributor down there called Yama Seafood, okay. and they service a lot of the high end like sushi trade. Hmm. So they, they've gotten us into like Sushi Nakazawa hmm. and we're in Nobu and Morimoto. And oh, wow. These guys are like buying our salmon every week. Wow. So like the quality's there. They, they really like it. Um, on the retail side, we just picked up our first uh, retail customer we're super excited about, Fresh Direct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, started carrying it in the beginning of November. And hmm. um, they, I think they... They do direct delivery, I think, from Connecticut down to D.C. I'm not yeah. exactly sure of the geography. But they, they, they carry some really great salmon, and hmm. they were excited about a, a local option, uh, um, sustainably grown, sustainably farmed, and, and good quality. Yeah. Um, and there's all sorts of, like, certification bodies in the aquaculture industry hmm. that kind of measure your sustainability hmm. credentials. Um, one that a lot of people are familiar with is the Monterey Bay Aquarium. They have a program called Seafood Watch, hmm. which is like a, they give a green or a best choice to, to like the most um, environmentally friendly, sustainable um, yeah. um, products. And then yellow is in between and red is like, ah, you should probably 
avoid those. Hmm. So we have the green rating, which is the, the top rating. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, for, you know, how much they say the oceans are overfished and, uh, you know, polluted and, uh, you know, you know, especially over the last year, I'm sure the information has been out for a lot longer than that, but especially uh, I've been hearing about it for the last year. It feels like all of the microplastics that get into our mm-hmm. seafood, you know, that's wild caught, uh, um, that we're eating because of all of the plastic that's in the ocean. Something like this is obviously very important to, you know, humanity, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's, you know, that's one thing that we can certainly control for through our water filtration systems and, you know, making sure we're using very pure water. Um, but, you know, you know, the wild stocks of fish, the wild fisheries and salmon in particular, I mean, it's finite. It's, yeah. it's, 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 you know, it's, it's limited. Um, I grew up in California and um, in the San Francisco area. And, uh, you know, every summer we would uh, we'd eat king salmon because there's a king salmon run that goes mm-hmm. all the way down to like Half Moon Bay, maybe a little below. And um, my, my dad was a restaurateur. He loved to cook. My uncle loved to fish. He'd always bring us some salmon in the summer and mm-hmm. do an outdoor like, barbecue. It was yeah. pretty cool. And I, I loved it. And then, you know, I was, I was when I was young and I'm not so young anymore. Um, you know, and there's there's not much of a run anymore. You know, like a, yeah. a lot's changed. Like there's yeah. just there aren't the numbers there used to be. It's it's a shame. And so, um, if you can responsibly farm fish, that takes the pressure off, right? It takes the pressure off the wild stocks. Um, hmm. And um, I mean, uh, you, yeah, and you know, you ha- you have to manage them. You have to protect them. So yeah, and, and people, you know, consumption's not going away. People are gonna <laughs> can continue to eat and there's more and more people and uh seafood is a very you know it's a good protein it's a healthy protein yeah so you need good good sources for it yeah have you know like well I, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face with this business uh i'd imagine it's got to be a tricky game of managing the fish that are you know getting ready to you know kind of outgrow the system right and have to be processed and sold and having the demand for it yeah i mean it's um I mean, uh, we were talking to someone the other day, and he said uh, something like, biology eats Excel for lunch. <laughs> and I think he meant, like, you know, you can have all your spreadsheets about how the fish are supposed to behave and grow and when you're supposed to harvest them, but these are living creatures. So, <laughs> like, there's always an unpredictable element. They don't grow as fast as you think they're going to grow or... Hmm. Or, you know, this week they're not eating like you think they're, they would be eating. Mm. And so you're always making a million adjustments along the way. Now, this is uh, Andre Bravo, who's our head of aquaculture. He's a genius at this. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the technocrat, um, <laughs> but, but he, he, he is. And so um, it's, it's like farming anything, I'm sure. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it's biology, it's living creatures, and you have to adapt to... Um, to their needs and, and their, um, you know, to variations in, in, in how they're doing things. Um, from like, from a, just a building a business perspective, you know, we're, mm. we're tiny, we're, you know, we're new. So mm. it's like trying to get awareness. Um, yeah. um, you know, 
we're, uh, I mentioned we have some distribution down in New York City area. Um, we're trying to get some distribution you know, up and running uh, here upstate in central New York. Um, I was talking to your dad about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, you, know, it, it, you know, when I personally go talk to chefs and knock on, you know, knock on back doors and say, yeah. hey, you know, I'm from, we're doing this. They're all super excited. Hey, I would love to carry a local salmon on my menu. You know, that's so yeah. cool. Like, why, you know, why should I be serving a salmon from Norway, you know, when there's one, you know, 20 minutes away? Right. Um, but it's, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a process to get a, a, a distributor to start carrying it and get excited about it. You know, right. it's, change is difficult. Um, so mm. it's, you know, I think we're, we're getting there. But, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, really trying to get get some distribution going here upstate. Um, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I mean, uh, so when dad, when they re mentioned it at Lorenzo's, like I've, you know, the majority of work that I do with restaurants is in Syracuse and central New York. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I'm friends with like, uh, Eden, the rich Stroob, who's the chef and partner at Eden, uh, which I don't know if you've been there yet or not. It's I a go after the show. It's, um, what day is it? Is it today, Wednesday? Yeah. Um, it's a hundred percent wood fired restaurant. Um, and it's, yeah. So some of the, the three best restaurants in Syracuse are St. Urban. Um, and, uh, you know, Jared's doing phenomenal things up there. Um, Eden and Amano. Okay. Amano is, um, the Fiaki family runs it. Alex, uh, and Lauren, Lived in Italy for like a year. So they were uh, with Mark Vetri in Philadelphia uh -huh. for years. And, um, but they're, uh, Alex is originally from here. So their dad, it's, it's, it's the dad, the mom is involved, the brother, and then the, the two brothers are sons. So, but they do, they lived in Italy for like a year. Alex and Lauren did just like traveling around. And um, it's some of the best food I've, I've ever had. Uh, they're just doing phenomenal things. All the pasta is handmade and, Noah, this, the younger son and brother, runs the wood-fired pizza oven that's, like, right in the dining room, and it's really cool. Um, but so I called some, I t called and texted some of those people, and I was like, hey, have you heard of, like, this is in Auburn. And Eden, for example, is a restaurant that only serves, only spies local food. Okay. And, uh, and he was like, no, I've never heard of this before. He's like, when you get more information, let me know about it. So um, there's places like that that I'm, you know, really excited you know when i know this podcast comes out i'm really excited for them to hear about it um yeah that's fantastic yeah, yeah like we you know we don't yeah we don't really have much in the way of social media <laughs> presence or you know uh, we haven't done a whole lot in terms of marketing yet you know yeah um we're you know hopefully in 2023 we'll have a little bit of a budget that we can start doing things yeah um we, yeah because yeah we need it we need to do it yeah it's always tricky on that side of the business when you're like a B2B company, because mm -hmm. it's hard to, it's hard to, I mean, first of all, your percentage of the population uh, that's on those platforms that you're reaching is so much smaller than everything else. Than if you're selling a candle, you know, right. for example. That's right. And so now you have to create interesting content that that small segment is hopefully going to find. It's always a tricky thing, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know of many that do it well unless it's like a massive company mm -hmm. and even sometimes they suck at it. So, um, but it is, a, we, we are a B2B yeah. company. I mean, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, it's, it's a little bit of both. I mean, like our customers are chefs slash restaurants. Um, 
and then you know it's like I mentioned a retailer, you know, so it's you're kind of talking to the consumer, yeah, too a little bit, but you know, mostly it's 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 more B two B than it is B two C. Yeah, there's definitely something to, for that push, you know, to market to the customer in hopes that they'll ask for it or ask if the restaurant carries it. Mm-hmm. You know, where hey, where do you get your salmon from? Sort of a thing. Um, is that awareness always? Grow? I mean, I, I've come, you know, as a customer at restaurants uh, over the last two years, I've learned about the importance of, you know, from following this company on social media of having your beer draft lines cleaned. And now I won't order a draft beer at a restaurant unless I know for a fact that they're you know how they that they have their draft <laughs> lines cleaned. <laughs> so sometimes that can work. Where if you market it properly to the customer, they'll you know they'll look out for that right, kind of stuff right. at restaurants. Yeah. It's real hard though. Yeah. Yes, it can be very challenging yeah. for sure. Um, you know, it was what's it like on the food distribution side? I've never thought of it. I, I work with and I'm friends with a lot of like brewery owners and and distillers distilleries and they have a nightmare of a time with with distribution of trying to get even brought up over the big companies yeah um so what's that like on the food world uh yeah probably some similarities yeah 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 Yeah, it's um you know uh like see i mean seafood distributors um or any distributor imagine it's like change is very very difficult because it requires them to invest time, yeah. energy, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, a, a mid-sized seafood distributor, have, they have a sales team, they have inside salespeople, you know, maybe they're buying four or five different types of salmon already. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, getting them to try to pick up another one, it's like, you know, <laughs> everyone's got to learn about the product. They got to like, you know, this is, um, you know, then they've got to, you got to educate them so they can educate their com- customers when they're talking, you know, hmm. the chef's calling in his order. Yeah. You know, you're hoping that maybe you get three seconds on that call where they mention this new salmon they're carrying, <laughs> you know, and there's a little bit of interest on the other end. It's, yeah. So it, hmm. trying to get that communication and that information through the pipeline is, uh, is pretty, pretty difficult. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. Uh, but you know, we also have, you know, we've got something pretty unique. Like I said, an American farm salmon is rare and yeah. our sustainability credentials are really good. Our, our salmon eats differently. It, it's a coho. So, mm. um, I mean, a lot of your listeners probably know the different species, but yeah. you know, each different species of salmon eats a little differently. Mm. Um, mm. um, ours are, um, you know, they're a little leaner than like most of your mm. farmed Atlantic I'll throw some numbers out there. Yeah, farmed Atlantics will carry about fifteen to eight percent, eighteen percent fat, mm. like fat to lean ratio. Uh, a farmed king, which is the world I came from, that's we used to call it like the wagyu salmon. They're, they're mm. really rich. They're like twenty five percent fat to lean. Mm. Wild salmon are, are typically leaner than than farmed. Uh, and what we're raising is more similar to like a wild salmon. It's a little on the leaner side. Like ours are about ten percent fat to lean. Wow. Um, and we grow them in fresh water. So you actually get a, mm. a really kind of clean, mm. nu- neutral flavor profile yeah. um, rather than uh, like this kind of rich, like butterball. Um, mm. So it's, 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 it's a different profile. And a lot mm. of, you know, so far, like chefs and uh, we've 
talk to like they really like it they like the difference yeah what i mean what are you what are you all up against the most in terms of like the market i mean are there like are there other massive uh you know salmon coho salmon farms that exist in the country that you're trying to kind of fight oh, against or is no, it just the awareness not so much the, the, you know uh there is a there's a uh fair amount of coho farming uh in uh, japan in chile mm. the japanese love coho salmon huh. um uh, very popular there so almost all of the world's farmed coho goes to, J to japan really yeah um wow and um I don't want to generalize, but yeah, you know, Japanese, you know, they you know they're fish, right? Um, so <laughs> that you know that means like you know coho's you know coho's uh, you're onto something, um, but yeah, almost all the all the uh, farmed coho in the world go to Japan. Um, hmm. uh, there are a couple other land-based salmon farmers starting out in the U.S. It's it's like it's you know if um, aquaculture it, it's a new industry, right? I mean. People have been farming um, pigs for yeah. a long, long time. Um, <laughs> but fish is relatively new, at least you know in its modern iteration. Uh, like it started, you know, salmon farming really kind of took off in the '80s, okay, um, and, and started to like really ramp up. So it's what a, you know, it's a 40, 40 year old industry, pretty, pretty young. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I think of like land based as like the the next generation. So it, it's it's really pretty young. So hmm. like we're we're tiny. We're starting out. There's a few other uh, young companies in the U.S. Hmm. Um, it's gotten a little more traction in Europe, actually. Believe it or not, and huh. um, uh, interesting. Yeah, Europeans seem to be like um, like they they have a little easier time, I think, getting funding and, and getting things hmm. off the ground than it has been here. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I I feel like if there's, you know, uh, they're probably thinking more like sustainable. You know, they they yeah. embrace, you know, that European culture embraces a lot more. Than I think so. Americans. I think that. Yeah, I think that. Like, some, yeah, I think that uh, aspect of it gets a little more. Um, it greases the wheels a little better when it comes to trying to get yeah. backers behind it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's a like I've I've done a little bit of research over the years into like you know microgreen farming, quote unquote, and yeah, it's a very different world what you're doing, extremely different world. Mm -hmm. uh, not just that it's fish versus microgreens, but with something like that where you're trying to be sustainable with microgreens, you can you could set up a whole facility here in the studio and you know have harvest in a week or two, mm -hmm. you know versus. Uh, trying to farm fish of all things. Uh, yeah, a year yeah. and a half. A year and a, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that like for somebody who's like who's looking at the numbers and you know thinking about those things? Like, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's tough. So it's, um, you know, I mean, we 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 talk to investors because you know we, we want to grow. We'd like to build a bigger farm, um, and uh, kind of do a, a next phase. So uh, it's, but it's not, it's like, it's a lot, it requires a pretty significant capital investment. And mm -hmm. then, uh, and then, you, you know, you got to build it and then it takes, you know, it takes a year and a half to grow the fish. <laughs> so like, it's, you know, it's not like this tech play. <laughs> right. Where, or, you know, you, or this, I don't know, I don't know that world at all, or this app that you design yeah. and can immediately like, you know, yeah, explode and, and produce returns. This is like we say that pa we need patient investors. <laughs> um, you know, patient investors who like 
you know, really believe in what we're doing. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a real business, you know, and right. we certainly aim to be successful in the hmm. long term, be profitable, but it's, it's a different type of business versus, um, the tech world for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean the tech world. You know, I'm thinking about like my product. My product is sitting on the shelf over there. It's not going to expire. Well, it's going to expire in a year, but because uh, that's when the card expires. But it's not going to go bad. It's uh, not yeah. going to wake up one day and decide it doesn't want to eat or you know whatever the case is. Or I'm not going to have spoilage from it. So it's a very different world from something like you know what you're doing. Uh, I couldn't imagine operating, making the decisions for a business like that. It's got to be very challenging, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It, yeah, it's pretty tricky, you know, living creatures and, um, you know, trying to plan. Like you're, you know, you you are planning inventory, yeah. you know, um, even though they're it's living inventory. So, hmm. you know, you, you have to like, well, what are our sales going to be, <laughs> you know, at that point in time, and, um, you know, our fish go through different uh, stages and. Um, there's a, there's a finishing stage where they go off feed and for like the two weeks before you harvest them. Um, so hmm. you have, you know, how many fish do we need to move into the finishing stage? Because how many people are going to buy in hmm. two weeks time? And so you're always playing these forecasting games and yeah. you're never exactly right. So, you know, you always have to you know, be pretty flexible. And, yeah. yeah. That's wild. So how does that work? You know, two weeks off of feed before harvesting? Yeah, yeah. Um, so salmon can actually go a really long time without eating and be be fine. Okay. Um, so the reason why uh, we do it is um, uh, they go off feed and they go into a, a finishing tank. Um, uh, so going off feed allows them to like purge yeah. their, their system, so there's nothing in their guts or digestive mm. tracts, um, and uh, also. Uh, the finishing tank is uh, we're doing a like a, a high water flow, so it's like very clean, very pure water. Hmm. So you're trying to make sure like fish will uh, uh, eat and taste like what they what they eat in, in the right. water they're in. So you're trying to cr- make sure they're spending their last couple of weeks in this very pristine environment, hmm. so that uh, when you harvest them and someone goes to break it down and Prepare yeah. it that you're getting like a really clean, pure flavor, and hmm. you know, that, yeah, that's the uh, that's the purpose. It's like it's a quality step. Yeah, is that the same? Uh, is that does that have anything to do with like the fact that it's ten percent fat? Like you know, you're saying, you know, the other, um, you know, the other salmon is twenty five percent fat. Does that have anything to do with it, or is it really just based on the flavor of it that the you know end user gets? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's flavor related. Yeah, because when they're in their main living tanks or, or raceways as we'll call them um like you're, you're feeding you're feeding them um i mean fish you know fish poop so like yeah. you know you're constantly filtering the water but you know there's there's elements in it so it's hmm. you know it's a it's a living um um environment um yeah with you know so, so uh the fact that they go off feed into this other tank allows you to just pur- purge any uh, anything that, that might, any flavors mm. that might be coming from yeah. that that living environment, um, like mm. uh, polyculture environment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, there's a lot, I mean, there's definitely a lot of work. Like you mentioned Cornell, I know Morrisville, they did, a, they do a lot with this stuff. There are some white trout that they, I did a video for 
uh, the cooking video for um, Morrisville was doing, and they had this like really rare white trout that they were raising at Morrisville. Um, mm. I don't think they're doing it. I don't think the schools were doing anything for you know sales to you know uh, outside markets. I think it was just more for study and and whatnot. But uh, yeah, you know it is interesting some of the um, uh, centers for that here in Central yeah, New York. Yeah. There's, um, yeah, there's some cool things going on. Um, there's a restaurant in Manhattan called Rosella. Great little place in the East Village across from Tompkins, Tompkins Square Park. Um, they're, they're a good customer of ours. They, they serve our coho salmon, but they're very much focused on local seafood. It's all mm. they serve. And they have a bass grown in Brooklyn. Mm. Um, I, That's I th- wild. Yeah, they have uh, a steelhead grown in Hudson, hmm. Hudson Valley. Um, um, they have some wild-caught tuna off the coast also. But, yeah, yeah. They, they have some really cool things in the menu from, huh. from local New York producers. Yeah. So Rosella, it's a Rosella. really yeah. cool spot. So is this something like, you know, something like this I would expect, and I know you guys are working on distribution here in the area, but – so this is something I would expect, like, most restaurants in Syracuse and central New York should be carrying, right? I mean, absolutely. You know, how more local are you going to get than something that's raised in Auburn? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think so. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's, there's a, a real strong belief across a lot of restaurants here about trying to prioritize local products, yeah. um, whether that's beer or wine or, you know, like yeah. Whatever is across the board. So, like, hmm. why, you know, why not seafood also? Why not salmon? Yeah. Um, you know, particularly, like like I said, like, most of the salmon's probably coming from overseas. Yeah. So, it's, you know, it's, you're, 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 clo- you're closing that, uh, those food <laughs> miles down by a pretty, pretty significant uh, yeah. uh, uh, amount if, if you, you know, Getting if you source <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, I th- you know, I think... Um, hmm. You know, uh, if you believe in sourcing local products, then then why not? Yeah, yeah. that's wild. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious how you made the jump from uh, restaurants into this world of uh, yeah, know, yeah. fish farming. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, you know, I, I grew up, I was telling you earlier, I grew up in the restaurant industry, and uh, you're showing me your bourbon collection <laughs> uh, that, uh, you know, you have to, get kind of uh, <laughs> off the, off the radar. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, uh, I, I grew up in a three, three generation restaurant family. My, my grandfather had a speakeasy boot. He was a bootlegger. And then hmm. we had a bar and restaurant in my family for three generations, 80 years. I was the third generation owner, but, wow. um, it, eventually I left it, you know, for a variety of reasons. And I have an Italian background I was always fortunate. We had cousins in Italy that we kept in touch with, so I'd go visit. Hmm. And I just, I, I always loved uh, charcuterie hmm. or, you know, salumi. Yeah. And, like, from a kid, I loved it. And so, um, and, I, I, and after I got out of the restaurant business, I went over and spent some time in Bologna, hmm. which is, a, 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 you know, in that region, it's a real epicenter for, wow. for all sorts of, like, fantastic cured meats. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Um, hmm. And I was thinking about, you know, this is a long-winded answer, That's right. answer yeah. to your question. I, was, I, I wanted to open a Salumeria. Hmm. Um, uh, I didn't want to actually make the salami. I just wanted to have, like, a hmm. proper shop hmm. that handled it. Like, handling of cured meats is, is like, super critical. Hmm. Handle it properly. I wanted to do, like, little mini panini. And I had this, like, whole concept. Hmm. And um, at the time, 
the real like king of uh, cured meats in, in the U.S. was Paul Bertoli. Mm. Paul Bertoli was the chef at Olivetto in Berkeley. He had been the chef at Chez Panisse. Mm. And he wrote Cooking by Hand. And he was, he was the guy you went to if you wanted to talk about cured meats. Mm. And I lived in San Francisco, so I went over to Berkeley and I was like, hey, I'm trying to learn about this stuff, you know. Yeah. And he said, oh, I'm actually starting this, uh, this business and we're going to be like doing whole animal butchery. We're going to be doing things the old way, hmm. but we're going to be selling to restaurants and stores and like doing all this like really traditional Italian cured meats. I'm like, well, like that's exactly what I want to do. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, uh, so, um, I kind of pestered him for, for a while and, uh, he ended up hiring me, hmm. uh, and, um, I ended up being his sales and marketing guy uh, wow. and it was uh, Fra Mani handcrafted salumi hmm. and, uh, it was great. Like we took the world by storm. It was like, we launched in 1996. No, no, I'm sorry. Two, uh, 2006. I, sorry. Two, 2006. And um, just the right, perfect timing. Like, hmm. e everything was about salumi and charcuterie at, at yeah. that point. Uh, we got, like, hmm. we, we, got, we were in New York Times and Vogue and The Economist. Like, wow. We got all sorts of, like, amazing press. It was pretty, it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, but anyway, that's how I kind of got on the other side of the business. It's yeah. like, I just, hmm. I wanted to be around cured meats. Yeah. <laughs> and... and uh, <laughs> And this, this was, like, a great opportunity to, to be involved in it. Huh. And uh, so I, I learned all about, like, distribution. Hmm. Like when, and we were all restaurant guys. Yeah. Like, so, like, I'm, you know, huh. like, oh, you have to have food-grade packaging. You have to have, like, I don't know what the hell that is. Like, none of it, you know, we didn't know. <laughs> you do? You know, where, yeah. where do you source boxes? Like, I don't know. Like, do you, no one, you know, you have to figure out, like, all those yeah. silly things. <laughs> well, not silly, but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's wild. It re it's um, the, the world. Well, in our area, it's starting to come back to that. There's so much. I'm sure all over the world, but there is so much, uh, for lack of a better term, illegal food operations that were happening during COVID. You know, yeah. um, I know. You know, I had some good friends that were had started a full fledged business making meals out of their apartment and selling them to people for takeout. You know, and uh, you know there were chefs at one point and lost their job because of the pandemic and. Just started cooking at home and selling stuff, and uh, one of my one of the guys was doing a lot of uh, jarred pickles. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. You know, it's like oh, you better hope, better hope nobody gets sick. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, well, that was yeah. That was what I mean. Yeah, charcuterie and cured meats. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. You better, you better know what you're doing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Because you can get pretty sick. Um, hmm. And yeah, it was always interesting. So uh, I mentioned we all came from the restaurant world, and yeah. And Paul Bertoli, who was the founder, so when you when you are producing all this for um, for wholesale, I guess you call it like it's a USDA inspected facility. There's yeah. a USDA inspector on site every day. Um, hmm. Like lot lot of regulations, yeah, lot of lot of paperwork, a lot of regulations. You can make the same product in your, in your restaurant, and it's like completely completely different regulatory environment. Like a hmm. lot more leeway. Huh. Um, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So is that how you got from California to New York? Yeah. Uh, actually, it was um, – so after that, I um, spent four or five years with them, and then I joined New Zealand King Salmon, mm. uh, where um, uh, we developed the Aura King Salmon brand, and um, 
when I started. I was living in San Francisco, and this was like 2010, and like it was just like not a good market to try to start um, developing this this like pre super premium farm salmon. It was mm -hmm. there's a lot of resistance to farm salmon, like particularly uh, uh, back then in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And our two hubs were like LA and New York. That was like where mm -hmm. most of our business was. I was like, yeah, I, was like, I don't really want to go to LA. So, yeah. You know, I, I'd been out to New York for work a number of times. And I was like, yeah, let's go out to New York. So yeah, yeah, I always liked it out here. And, um, that's, yeah. That's what brought me out. That's cool. Yeah. It's, uh, and I'm sure you can find a lot of those, like, you know, like your, the business you wanted to start, you can find a lot more of that in New York than you can in LA. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That's pretty wild. Well, you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, taking time to come down to the studio. Yeah. Um, thank you very um, much. Yeah, this has been a great opportunity. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Um, I know you get, you know, you are talking to Lorenzo. So, you know, any restaurant owners or chefs that are listening, if you want more information, uh, what's the website that they can go to to get that? Localcoho.com. And, um, you know, so distribution hopefully is coming to Syracuse. So if you're in the area, uh, central New York, uh, well, this will, this will be coming out in like three weeks. So, um, I'll put links, you know, I'll check in with you then and put links for whatever in the show notes so they can connect that way. Great. Put in a good word with your dad for us uh, yeah. to start carrying our salmon. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, there might be another episode coming out uh, before the end of the year. I don't know yet, but most likely this is the last one, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you, Again, if you are a um, restaurant owner or a chef and you're interested in sourcing, getting this coho salmon on your menu, um, by all means, Google search you know, local coho. You'll get their website. Uh, but you can also get it right at Lorenzo's. Call them, 315-487-7777. And yeah, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If I don't hear, if I don't talk to you between now and the end of the year, happy new year. And here's to a phenomenal 2023.